All right, so as, uh, as Bill mentioned, my name is Marshall Gallagher. I'm the church planting resident and uh, uh, going to be planting in East Nashville. Many of you know that. Um, and uh, for those of you who I haven't met, I'd love to see you after the service. I'm uh, handling a handful of Jamie's kind of things while he's gone. So uh, I get to peek in just a little bit before uh, I kind of jump into the full planting role that he um, has sort of just now kind of cruising out of. But uh, I'm, I'm glad I'm here this morning. Uh, last week we heard, uh, I think the guy was from Canada or something like that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. He, Milwaukee, okay. He, I, uh, he's always a little nervous about his southern accent that he's working on, so we'll, we'll give him some grace there. No, he's my church planning coach, and, and I love him dearly. Um, but uh, so last week we heard from John 11, and, and a couple weeks ago we, we were in John 12, so now we kind of skipped, didn't really skip, but if you're tracking, if you're thinking, wait a minute, John 13, whoa, whoa, we get every chapter, uh, we covered it a couple weeks ago. So now John 13, uh, and so, you know, to start out, I want to ask everyone a question. How do you know that you're a Christian? I know some of us, that brings up doubts and fears, maybe. Some of us are, are shooting off Bible verses, right? Um, how do you know that you're a Christian? And so to kind of put it a, a different way, maybe a little bit more difficult, how would other people know that you're a Christian? How would other people, how would your kids know that you're a follower of Jesus? How would your friends know? How would your spouse know that you're a follower of Jesus? Is it you go to church? You have a, a sticker on the back of your car? You, you love theology? You're very disciplined spiritually? You're just nice to people? How, how would other people know? How would that friend at work that you know doesn't go to church, you're not really sure what he believes, how would he know if you're a follower of Jesus or not? Um, or maybe uh, that friend's mom that you bump into and you're, you, you know there's something there and you're trying to figure out what she might believe, you're hoping to, to talk about your faith in front of her, but how would she know that you're a Christian? And of course, what's the Sunday school answer? Okay, well, how did Jesus say that you should know? And, and so here we have it. In verse 34 and 35, was read just a second ago, uh, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. And then verse 35, he says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. And, and if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. It's a follower of Jesus. So it's not... Well, no, 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 I'm just, a, I'm just a, a Jesus guy. I'm not a disciple. But they're, they're the same in the New Testament, and so here we're treating it the same. So by this, by your love for one another, but that extends to Judas, so you can't just keep it within the disciples. That extends to all of us so that all people would know that you are Christian based on how we love other people. And I... I've been reading a lot of discipleship books. I've talked about it a ton. I've seen all different programs, and that does not seem to be the thing that is the centerpiece of how people know that you're a disciple of Jesus. It's, it's just, I haven't read the book that 
is singularly focused on verse 35. What Jesus says is the most important thing that people would know that you're a follower of his. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you guys, but I don't really think that's how we're known culturally. Like, is that the thing that Christians are mostly known for? Well, okay, those Christians, they're crazy, but we know they love people. It's not. Why? It's right here. It couldn't be any clearer. Right? I mean, we know the command, and, and part of these really familiar, even people who didn't grow up in church have probably heard of Judas, have probably come across something of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples. Um, so we know the command, but, but why don't we love people? We know the rule, so why don't we follow it? It's because, and many of you are smirking, you know where I'm going with this. It's because that's not, that's not grace. And this chapter is not primarily about just a new rule, a new law, a new commandment. Jesus gives it. And so if you're trying to figure out, well, what's the new point? What's the teaching point? Well, that's it. Verse 34 and 35, you can jot it down and then, you know, kind of good luck. <laughs> but this chapter is primarily, and I won't say this much, it's primarily not about what Jesus teaches and says. It's about what he does. This chapter is about God's love for us. It's about grace. And so some of us think about grace as just kind of like not being punished. Like we should be punished, but we're not. So that's grace. And, and I was trying to think of a metaphor. And, uh, you know, if you go to like a really nice dinner banquet kind of thing where there's a big line um, maybe it's at a wedding, and there's the salad at the beginning that you're always like obligated to get some of it, right? And you're like, oh gosh, okay, I gotta at least put a little just to look like I'm, I'm trying to do, but you're not excited about that little salad part. I know some of you are saying, well, that's the best part sometimes. Okay, but you're, you're really thinking, what's the real, like what's the entree down the line? What is that? So not being punished as the in, ex, a, a whole explanation and all of grace. Not being punished is like that little salad at the beginning. It's part of it. Certainly you can spend a lot of time with the salad if that's your thing, but it's not, it's not nearly what you are there for. You're missing it if that's all you see. If all of grace is just not being punished justly by God, rebelling against the king of the universe, justly there's a punishment. That's true. But if that's all grace is, you are missing so much of it. Grace is about the love that we don't deserve, that we get. And you can spend your entire life right there and never get tired. And so that is what this chapter is about. But we don't do it, right? If we can just be honest, we just don't love this way. And it's because we don't allow Jesus to love us. Our ability to love other people is linked with how much love we receive from Jesus himself. 
you, you know those people, right? Whether it's the hurt people, hurt people kind of explanation or that person who just can't stand, is just mean as a snake to all sorts of people. I even remember growing up, like the, you know, bullies, they're just bullying because they, they don't like themselves or they're upset or something like that. It's all about the love that we receive gives us the capacity to love other people. And so most of the time, I wouldn't encourage a very kind of individualistic reading just because I think if we approach the Bible only thinking about where am I in the passage, what's about me, it's me, 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 it'll mislead us in a lot of things. But today, I want to focus on you, to focus on me and how Jesus loves us as individuals, how much he does. And of course, it means a lot for a church as a group of people, but I want you to think about how much Jesus loves you. And so I took three kind of characters. I hope you find your place with the three kind of scenes here, and along with three reasons why we don't. All right? And so the first one that we do not, and there it is, we don't reflect the love of Jesus because we don't believe it's real. And so look at Judas, right? A lot of this chapter is devoted to the betrayal of Judas. But all through the Gospels, we don't see Judas as some evil, conniving, mean. He blends in, right? He looks like a follower of Jesus. But, but what happened And really what happened is he didn't believe what Jesus was saying was true. He didn't believe that everything Jesus promised, everything Jesus did, he saw Jesus love a lot of people. He saw him do amazing things. He did not believe either that it would last or that it was enough. Judas' main problem was not that he's just a bad guy, it's that he didn't believe in the promise that Jesus gave him. That when that temptation came, it said that uh, the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas. At the center of that is just unbelief at who he's walking with day by day is enough. And, and this goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible. When sin entered the world, it was because Adam and Eve did not trust. They didn't believe. They didn't think that what God had promised them was actually going to be enough, that it would actually take care of everything they ever needed. It was, it was their unbelief. And so we do this a lot. And and. Even in this whole message, this has nothing to do with losing your salvation. So I just want to set that aside. For any of you who struggle with that, this is all about just how this works on a day-to-day basis for us. Um, I just want to make that very clear. But Jesus, he didn't believe the good that God was promising. And for us, we, when we seek it out actively in other areas, I don't know if that's your work, Because work can bring money, and money can bring happiness. Maybe it's work that gives you status. 
our fame in something, but, but whenever we approach those as the ultimate source of something, we are, we are saying, Jesus, I don't, it's great that I'll go to heaven, that's fine, but I don't really believe that you have enough. I, I think I need to get it on my own. I think I need to, to have other people like me. That's what's going to give me real happiness. I need to be successful because it's great, Jesus, that you love me, but I don't believe that that's enough, so I need to pursue success so that I can have what I really deep down in my heart desire. At the center of it, it's us not believing what Jesus says, that all we need, he has for us. And, and often, it's buying into a lie that, that Satan props up with good things in our lives. This could be your kid's performance in sports or education or school. You could put all your hope in how well they're doing very subtly, and it's hard to recognize. But when you do that, you're trusting in that to provide you with happiness more than Jesus. And that's the same error that Judas made. But look how God responds in both of these examples. In Genesis 3.21, you have Adam and Eve listening to the deception of the serpent, trying to become like God, and then hiding, feeling the weight of their shame and guilt and, and seeing everything. And then what does God do? He said they would die. If they ate of the fruit, he said they would die. And what does he do? 321, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them from naked and ashamed here let me cover you and of course we know that he had set this trajectory one day that is being fulfilled right here but at the very beginning john in verse one john writes kind of an, an intro to this chapter he says jesus knew that his hour had come Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray him. And what did he do? He said, get out of here, you betrayer. I hate you. No. Jesus bent down and lowered himself, humbled himself before Judas and served him and extended grace to him. To Judas knowing what would happen, knowing this whole plan, all of the cross is in the background, and he served and loved Judas. Is that not amazing? It's confusing. But I, all the songs, I mean, it, it's almost like Dan and I coordinated some of these songs together. But all these songs we sang, just half of the lines, it was my sin that kept him there. What about Romans 5, 8? But God shows his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. We were enemies to Jesus and he served us. That's his response to our unbelief. Jesus says, here it is. I'm willing to give you everything. 
We say, I don't want it. I don't think, I don't, I don't trust it. I, I'm going to pursue this stuff. That's what's going to make me happy. I need to go out and get it because whatever you're giving me, Jesus, is not enough. And he says, I'm right here. He serves us in the midst of us not believing in who he says he is. That is grace. And so maybe you don't struggle with that kind of understanding. You don't you know, connect with Judas on a level. And, and don't worry, I'm not calling all of us Judas, but I think you can see right there the connection. But what about the disciples? What about these passive observers, right? Their characters kind of in this scene, um, verses 21 through 30. Jesus is talking about the betrayal and, and I love this. I can see this happening. A bunch of guys sitting around and saying, hey, one of you is going to betray me. Peter's going, and John is sitting right next to Jesus, and Peter's like, John, John. What? Who, who is he talking to? Thomas? Th- no, not Thomas. Not Thomas. Matthew? No, not Matthew. And they're try- I mean, they're trying to figure out who is it that is going to betray them, Right? And then Jesus is so obvious and so clear. Like, this is one of those moments where you're like, I don't, how did they not? Jesus is like, oh, okay, okay. The, the one I hand this bread to, that's who's going to betray me. He dips the, the bread. He hands it to Judas. And they're like, huh, I wonder why I gave him that bread. Maybe it's, uh, I don't know. And I think what is going on here. And they had seen Jesus love so many people. Their their idea of love and grace had extended itself past what they thought was possible. They were walking with the Messiah, but they didn't allow their idea of love to go to, to Judas. Knowing what we know about Judas, they saw Judas the disciple Jesus even said, hey, the betrayer, right here, right here, I'm giving it right to him. And he got up and left. Jesus said, okay, go ahead, go leave. They, they still had no capacity to understand that his love could extend to the one who would betray him. They, they didn't even think about it. They, it wasn't in their minds to think, Lord, your love, yeah, for the lame and the crippled and the blind and, and the little girl who died. Of course, even the unclean. It's way more love than we've ever seen, but not for someone who would betray you. That's irresponsible. It's, it's, it's reckless. It's offensive. You go around loving people like that, and you will only get hurt. You'll only be taken advantage of. They, they didn't have a big enough understanding of the grace of Jesus. And, and we, we kind of do this little trick in our own heads, and this kind of brings us to our second point, that we don't reflect the love of Jesus because we don't think we deserve it. And so we see someone loved, we see something done, someone forgiven, something done to someone, and even subconsciously we think and we put ourselves in that situation, and we go, if I was that person, I wouldn't forgive them. If I did that, There's no way I should be treated that way. If I made that mistake, I would would deserve that too. 
And, and we, we run what happens to everything. And this is just human nature. We see how people are loved, how people are treated, uh, justice, what happens on the news, and we just immediately think, mm-hmm, or that's unfair. If I were in that position, I, that shouldn't happen to me. And that's just the filter that we take over all of this. And I think that's what the disciples are doing too. They're saying, okay, yeah, if, if I betrayed Jesus, there's no way he should serve or love me, and so that can't be it. And I think deep down at what the disciples are saying and what we're saying is, if I were Jesus, I would never. I would never have washed Judas's feet. And that is a filter of guilt and shame in this world, what has happened to us, who we are, who we're ashamed of, the things we wish weren't true, the things we wish we didn't, didn't fail at or didn't fail to do, and that's how we see other people's love and treatment of others as we run it through that filter without even trying, and we say, if I were Jesus, and of course we don't think about it this way, but what we're saying is, if I were Jesus, I would never have loved him. What that really means is, if I were Judas, if I betrayed Jesus, he would never have loved me. That's not true. We see it right there. But we're, we're exposed there, and we're looking at our guilt and our shame and what should or shouldn't happen, what's fair, instead of looking to the cross. Jesus crying out, forgive them, they don't know what they are doing. They don't get it. That is the filter of grace for how he loves us. It is far bigger, but it's so hard to give that to people when we can't receive it for ourselves. It's, it's not natural, but it is grace. And it's interesting even, and, and I know that God's nature is love and grace and mercy. But in verse 3, I think a lot of Jesus' humanity comes out. It says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. That is the foundational piece right before Jesus serves the one who would betray him. Probably the most painful thing in Jesus' earthly ministry was Judas, one of his disciples, betraying him. Having to look him in the eye day after day after day after day. But it says that Jesus knew all things were in God's hands. The Father had given him all things he knew he had come from God and he was going back to God. And I wonder, if we were so grounded in the love of God, would it change how risky we were in loving people? If we knew that 
God is in control. And no matter what happens, he will never let me go. Would you be willing to be hurt by somebody? Would you be willing to be taken advantage of or forgive someone who did not deserve it? I think that's a huge clue into how much we allow God's grace to wash over us. And so maybe you, you didn't identify with Jesus, Judas. You don't necessarily identify with the disciples sitting around. Um, don't worry, because we got Peter left. And everybody identifies with Peter, right, at some point. And I, and I think it's because he's just so honest. He's kind of like a middle schooler. He just fires off what he thinks. Sometimes it's really painful, even for a 30-year-old. Not, not, not a specific example. No. Um, but I think what we see here with Peter, um, and, and Peter, kind of that good old Southern, God bless him, Lord bless him. But what we see here is pride from Peter. And, and you may, you, it may be kind of hard to think of because you think of pride as just arrogance and haughtiness, um, but it's a very veiled pride, and, and I know this is in me too. Um, I absolutely identify with Peter in this text, but, but look, at, look at Peter's interaction with Jesus. He start, Jesus starts to wash his feet. He goes, Lord, you would wash my feet? Jesus said, look, you, you don't understand. So you'll never wash my feet. That, that's not a response you give to someone. It, Peter doubles down on his lack of need for Jesus. And again, that, that swings us into that third point is we don't reflect the love of Jesus because we think we don't need it. And that sounds harsh at first, but my guess is that all of us will connect with thinking at some point or acting the way that we, we just don't need Jesus. Peter certainly here, even later, and he kind of gives that Sunday school answer after Jesus again tells him, okay, look, if you don't let me do this, then you have no part in me. Oh, Lord, wash my heart. And then a little bit later, he talks about being betrayed and then where he's going, you can't come. And, and the first thing that Peter thinks about, what do you mean I can't come? I'll go, I'll, I'll ride or die to the ends of the earth. I mean, just think, Jesus thinking to himself, Peter, I just told you, I just told you that you needed to let me do something for you. And the first thing Peter thinks about is how good of a, of a follower and good of a disciple he can be in that moment. It, it just went right past Peter. And, and I think what's going on there is not Peter being arrogant, um, but he's just thinking to himself, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, Jesus, you came for the, the poor and the needy and the broken and the lost sheep of Israel and, and all the unclean and the sick. I'm not one of those. I, I, yeah, I get you need to wash and, and purify people. Uh, not me. I don't, I don't need your help. 
I, I remember a few years ago, uh, I was talking to uh, a friend of mine, and he, he's a very tender soul, and he gave me this really nice compliment. And I was like, oh, thanks. And then he stopped me. And this is very unlike him, but he stopped me, and he said, you know what? It's really hard to give you a compliment, Marshall. And I remember where I was. I was just like, wow. And you know why? And he said, just take the stupid compliment. <laughs> but you know why I, and, and I do this, I, I am the middle child, self-reliant, you know, I've been told somebody this morning, like, I'm the little kid in the corner playing by himself. You don't have to worry about me. I'm, I'll just be here doing my thing. I don't need people. And what I was saying to that friend is, hey, hey, look, I get it. Like, you need to compliment, make people feel better about themselves. But I don't need that. And kind of my subtle refusal of someone's gift, someone's help, someone's love is kind of a veiled way. And this is how pride is. It's very, very subtle and sneaky. But it's this veiled way of saying, I don't need something from anyone. I'm good. I am enough in myself. That's what Peter is doing. And, and maybe you connect with that. And we may not think about it this way, But if Jesus came for the broken and the poor and the needy, I'm not, I'm not broken, I'm fine. I don't need you to wash me, Jesus. I don't need you to die for me, Jesus. I'm doing okay on my own. That's undergirding what Peter is going through right here. But again, look at how Jesus responds. He gets a little harsh at the end of the chapter. But he's just, he's saying, Peter, will you? You'll die for me? Really, you'll die for me. Before tomorrow, you're going to deny that you even know me. I heard a, a preacher one time say, the only difference between Judas and Peter is that Peter repented. Think about that. It's not the only difference, but at the heart of it, betraying and denying, and Jesus still loves Peter. He says, Peter, you don't get it. You don't understand. I mean, of course, there's a second level of pride here that I think needs to strike all of us. Um, and it's verse 16. After Jesus washes their feet, he says, I've given you an example. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And so, just very quickly think about that. He's, okay, guys, look, you are not better than me. And the disciples were like, yep, got it, Jesus. We, we got that one. Okay. So if, if you're not better than me and you want to serve me, you want to be my emissary, my messenger, and look, look what I just did. Look where I just set the bar of serving and loving. 
And so if we're going to go and serve and love, that just simply means that we don't get to pick people that we're better than. If, if Jesus was willing to serve and love and extend grace to Judas, like what, who is worse on the scale of deservability, if that's a word, deservedness, than Judas? Like who, who, who is out there in the, in the world's worst kind of people I mean, Judas has got to be top three, maybe top one. So, so who, is, who fits the category of people Christians shouldn't love? People Christians shouldn't serve. People Christians shouldn't humble themselves before. And so that, that can have very, a huge number of meanings, Right? Sometimes it's loving to let someone walk away like the rich young ruler, and sometimes it's loving to go after someone. So that can be defined, but is there anyone that we just get a pass on serving from? Enemies of God. And so I would say that if there is a people group any political group, any religious group, and you hate them. You can't stand Muslims. You can't stand Buddhists. You can't stand Trump supporters or Hillary supporters. I cannot stand, I would never. What are you saying about yourself? What, what, what are you letting speak into your heart? You may not realize it, but when we refuse to serve and humble ourselves before people, we are saying, I am better than Jesus. I'm more deserving. I shouldn't have to, to lay my life. I shouldn't have to love and serve them. I shouldn't have to wash their feet. They're beneath me. Right there, Jesus is saying that that doesn't sound like my servant because you're making yourself more deserving of honor and more deserving of something than me. And it doesn't mean you're affirming. Jesus doesn't say, hey, Judas, you know what? You be you. Just go on and, and you're, you're doing a great job, pal. You know, I know you're going to betray me and you just got to, you know, follow your heart. Jesus doesn't say that. So we can separate whether or not we agree with people from how we love them. But there is no person on the list of people we do not serve or love. Jesus says, that's how you will know. That's how people will know that you're my disciples. And so maybe you just need to think, if there is someone in your life, if, if there's that, that PTA mom who always has questions, right? Or maybe, maybe it's, it's one of the assistant coaches who just takes eight-year-old baseball way too seriously. Maybe, maybe it's your siblings. Maybe it's your parents. Maybe it's someone who just 
you, you can't stand, and it, and it shouldn't always be about emotion, right? Don't, don't think that Jesus wasn't burdened by this. That was a, a loving obedience. And, and so if, if you can read this chapter, if you can really think about just how broad the gospel is, how broad grace is, and not be offended or challenged. Or if you're sitting here and you're thinking, yeah, you know what, I've got all that. Okay, yeah, that's right. Yep, I don't, I don't dislike anyone. I don't, I, I'm, I don't consider myself better than anyone. I, I'm not sure you're listening. This should be offensive. If, if Jesus loves everyone, if he's willing to serve everyone, it, that should challenge us because that is not natural. That is a supernatural love and a supernatural grace. That's why it's offensive. It, it's hard for me to think through this. It should upset us and challenge us because it's impossible. What Jesus is asking us to do, the way he's asking us to love people, is impossible. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit to do it. So the kind of main point, all of this, and I hope you've at least identified some areas where you realize you're not letting the grace of Jesus come into your heart. Just prepares us to understand that it, we're only able to love like Jesus when we are loved by Jesus. There's no way we could possibly love one another the way Jesus has without having his love in us first. And I, I think those are connected. Do you know someone who just is overflowing with their love and devotion for Jesus who is just a huge jerk? No. no. Everybody laughed because they're like, no, I hate those people. They make me feel bad all the time because they're so nice. But we know a lot of people, a lot of religious people, and I know it's in our hearts too, so it's easy to look out there and point fingers, but it, it's here, right here in me too, that care a lot about what Jesus said. But I can just be mean sometimes. I can forget how much God has loved me. So then Jesus comes to his new commandment. And notice, and this is just... This is how Jesus works. This is how grace works. It's not a new commandment I give you. It is not. You should love each other the way I would love them. That, that sounds fine, right? You could even say it and mean the same thing. But that's not what he says. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Just as I've loved you, it's already there. You have it. The grace has been given. Now you're to love each other like I did. 
just then, if we're talking about the foot washing, and then think about what the disciples, how they would have connected it to the cross. Like, I wonder, it said, you'll understand. Jesus always kept saying, you'll understand this at some point. And I wonder when it clicked for John, just how deep he meant it. And, and I wonder how, how, when it clicked for Peter, when you remember this, okay, this is the new commandment. We haven't gotten a lot of these, so I'm going to pay attention. I wonder when it clicked for him that that's how deep he loved me. I like to think it was when he was on the boat and it said he like stripped his clothes off and just dove in and swam to the shore when he saw the risen Lord. But I mean, when, when, when we get this, that it's based on how God has already loved us. And the whole Bible is filled with stories of God's initiating love for us. And then you go and love others. Even the Ten Commandments started out with, I am the Lord, your God. This is who I am. I've brought you out of Egypt. I've rescued you. I've saved you. I've loved you. Now, here is how living holy in my kingdom looks like. Even before the most rule-based kind of law thing that we can think of, it was still God first loved us. And of course we see that with Jesus. And so I was trying to think of all these different roles and all these people last night. It was about 8.30. I was like, all right, I need some good examples for people to kind of connect with. And, uh, and like, parents, y'all get this. I was at that, like, mental snapping point with children right? Like the church was just right on the edge, and we had just had a t-ball game uh, at six o'clock, which why would you ever do that for four-year-olds? But we had just had a t-ball game. I had both the kids. We got home. We were like an hour, hour to an hour and a half behind schedule. Um, I mean, Shook's crying because he can't watch Ninjago. Mabel is just not wanting to do anything. Um, we do the bath, all this, and I'm just, I got to work on my sermon. So that's in the back of my head, you know, preparing for it, and, and I'm thinking through all this stuff. Mabel decided she wanted to try potty training in the middle of her carpet. I mean, it's just like thing after thing after thing, and I just, I just had that snapping moment. I see all the, mm-hmm. So there are some perfect parents, and their parents are like, mm-hmm, Amen. <laughs> I just had that moment where I, I just, I was way too mean and harsh and kind of that dad like, everybody stop, get in your rooms, that we all are scarred by at some level in our lives. But I, I just hit that and I was, sitting, I was sitting down typing this, trying to think of a good application point. And then I hear the little tip tap coming down the stairs and I'm just, and, and Shook comes up, he says he's hungry for the 10th time and and like I just I just put my my like hands in on my head and and I thought, well, I better come up with like a put your money where your mouth is moment. Otherwise this all is just meaningless. The whole you need the grace of God to love others in that supernatural way. And I just I started thinking, all right, God, you love me. You have given up everything for me. You never reject me. You never turn me away. And I just, I had this moment of grace that just washed everything away. Because I'm that little four-year-old 
I complain and I bicker and I whine. I try to get out of bed. I never want to go to sleep, even though that's what's good for me. And, and God never shouts. He never gets angry. He never, he's always there. He's always receptive. He's always tender. And, and, and so I'm that four-year-old who even though I know things might be better for me, I just, I want to do my own thing, do my own way, do all this. And I just needed the grace of God in that moment as a parent to just settle it down. Because just me in my flesh, I'm the, I'm the angry dad, everybody be quiet and get in the rooms. But with supernatural grace, I just I have the patience of Jesus in that moment. I don't I don't know how parents do it without Jesus, honestly. Every, every, amen. Yeah, that's right. Um, but so that would be my prayer for us. Um, and and the worship team can head out and head up. Um, let, let's just pray. Will you bow your heads with me, Lord? Um, we need your grace. You tell us that we'll be known as your disciples, as your followers, based on how we love one another. But God, it is so difficult. And it's even more difficult to sacrificially give up ourselves and humble ourselves. Lord, we need your spirit. We need your supernatural grace and your love to be able to pull this off. And so, Lord, help us to not try to do it ourselves. Help us to just meditate on the grace we have, that it is so much bigger and deeper and wider, and there is nothing that can separate us from. Lord, Give us an understanding of your grace and help us constantly chew on that. This week, the next, Lord, help us make it a daily practice to know how much we're loved and let that overflow into relationships so that people would see and know that they'd be offended at the level of how we love people. And that that would be enticing and attractive and welcoming and warm, God. That that is how we would show people the gospel and how we self-sacrificially love people, who, especially people who do not deserve it or don't reciprocate. God, we need your help in this. We pray all of this in the grace and love of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.